0: It is a delight to have a special friend of the Lakeside family return to us. And when I heard that uh, he has a special message on this whole powerful subject, this powerful privilege that we have, prayer, uh, I wanted him to come on back and be able to... Uh, cap off our week of prayer and minister to our dear Lakeside family. Would you put your hands together and give a real good Lakeside welcome to Dr. Joe Davis, professor at Southeastern University. Amen. Bless you, Joe. You Amen.
1: Well, thank you so much, Pastor. It is great to be with you all. And this is something that I didn't usually see when I was a pastor. I was a pastor in Maryland for 19 years. And what we never saw or didn't see much of is when it would snow, people would come to church. So I, I, I'm just amazed. I, I, you know, I was thinking it's just such a shame that uh, I didn't come here when I was a pastor. So I could take a picture of this and show my congregation you actually can come out in the snow. And yes. uh, this actually works. Well, I am so happy to join you all for this uh, topic on prayer. I'm going to tell you why before. And you can go ahead and flash up uh, the uh, picture there of the waterfall. Uh, I want to tell you why I, I want to come and talk to you about prayer, is because in the first few years of my Christian walk, I hated to pray. Just to say that to show you how spiritual I am. <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is I hated praying, and I'm a little bit, you may be able to tell this, I'm a little ADHD, uh, I just can't sit still for real long, I, whoops, <laughs> see what I say? it was ADHD, <laughs> and I can't sit still for real long, and I, there we go. And uh, I like activity I like to do things as a matter of fact I just recently became uh, the director of a boys home uh, because I was bored uh, I only have one job so I thought you know why not do two and uh, also by the way I like to lead trips to Israel and go around the world and preach gospel so in my spare time what do I do I pray now why Well, I'm going to tell you something Martin Luther said. He said, in order for me to do the work that God has entrusted with me, I need to pray. How many days, how many hours a day did Luther pray? Three hours per day. But of course, I'm too busy. Ladies and gentlemen, on the screen in front of you is a picture of my daughter. And she's having her quiet time. And you might say, what's significant about that? Well, uh, first, I like it when people have quiet time. We're going to talk about quiet time. But the second thing is, I want to invite you to come with me to where she is. She is praying in Israel. And she is praying where David wrote his psalms. And this is a little place called En Gedi. And so what we do when we go to Israel, we have an hour of quiet time and we try to do a devotional every, well, we do devotionals every day, but we try to beat the crowds every time to a spot so that it'll be very, very quiet. And so here at the National Park and Getty, where David wrote the Psalms, when we go to Israel, I'm going to ask you if you'll write a psalm to God. You will be amazed at the things that God does. Ladies and gentlemen, in your bulletins is some information about going to Israel. I'd like to invite you to come with me I can guarantee you, you will never go any place like Israel. As a matter of fact, my wife has been all sorts of places. I've been all over the world. I would rather go to Israel than Rome or Paris. I'd pretty much rather go there than any other place in the world except the Baltimore Arabians football stadium. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I like Israel better, particularly this year. So what I want to encourage you to do is to come with me and pastor to Israel it will be the best trip of your life. How much does it cost? If you do your own airfare, it costs approximately $2,000. It's in the uh, information before you. You can do it cheaper that way, okay? If you have us do it, it costs 39 something, whatever's in your book, 39.50 I think is uh, what we charge. If you want to go and you give me a check today, knock $100 off. Why? I'm gonna tell you, the flights are cheaper now than they will be a couple months from today, okay? And after the first Sunday in March, they'll get even more expensive. That's just how it works with airfare. So if you give me a check today, we'll knock $100 off. And we need $2,000 for those of you who are going on that first Sunday in March. And so Pastor Phil will have more information about that. But if you want to go ahead and just give me a check today, absolutely. I'm going to be honest with you. I have never had anybody go to Israel that didn't tell me it was the best vacation and time in their life. Please go to our website and just view some of the testimonies of people who have gone and in all honesty say it changed their life. Imagine what it would be like to pray for one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane where your Savior prayed right before He went to the cross. Imagine what it would be like to go to Mount Carmel and see Pastor Phil call down fire from heaven. We're going to throw that in for extra and for those of you who really want the, the the real deal you really want the full package for for just fifty dollars more we have the walking on water tour and uh, <laughs> all, however no refunds for lack of faith <laughs> okay ladies and gentlemen one more thing I, we've got a lot of answers today but I just want to say thank you to them. I want to say thank you because uh, your missions board has sent money to Southeastern University and we have students going to over 60 countries and I'm going to tell you some of those students get the missions bug and what happens is they want to do it for the rest of their life. Thank you for your investment. God bless you and hope to see you in Israel. All right ladies and gentlemen turning your Bibles if you would to Matthew 26:36, and we're going to look at the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane and i mentioned before that the reason that i wanted to talk about this is because i hated to pray and it wasn't until i read this passage that i began to get it because bluntly most of the prayers that i heard people pray seem i don't know sort of plastic stilted i mean it didn't really seem like something that an energetic person would like to do and i'm going to be very honest with you i'm just as transparent as i can i had a hard time coming to christianity because I didn't really think it was a sort of a what men do, you know? I wanted to be a man's man. I wanted to beat up people and things like that. You know, that's what real men do, you know, they go to jail. <laughs> yeah. So I had this sort of strange view of what a man was. My hero was my grandfather, and his great claim to fame was he once punched a man through a door. And I said, that's what I want to be. I want to punch people through doors. So needless to say, I had sort of a violent childhood, (laughs) and uh, I didn't want anything to do with Christianity. My mom was a beautiful believer. Uh, My dad uh, really wasn't really into it that much, and he seemed to me to be, you know, uh, on the right track. He was making lots of money. He was real popular, and my mom, she she was real quiet, and she would go pray a lot, and I was like, ah, yeah, I don't want to do that. And I'm going to be honest with you, unlike this church, the church that I went to, it just wasn't very exciting. You all have an exciting church. The church that I went to, you know, I really believe that they were just sort of, I don't know, they just didn't like being happy. And yeah, I, don't, I don't know what the deal was. As a matter of fact, they, they actually, they had stained glass, but it was all yellow. I mean, everybody looked like they had hepatitis, you know? I, I mean, you know, it was, it was just a really strange place. And so my view of religion was just all wrong, and my view of prayer was completely wrong. I couldn't figure out why anybody would want to pray. And as a result, I just didn't do it. And I, I, even after I became a Christian, it was hard for me to stand still. I had other things I wanted to do, you know, and why would I pray anyway? You know, doesn't God already know what I want? You know, He probably does, so what's the point? And so I, I just couldn't figure out what to, why, why would I do this? And so, ladies and gentlemen, let's read our passage, and this is the passage that helped me to discover the most wonderful area of my life, my quiet time with Jesus. And here we go. In Matthew 26:36, it says this, and Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I'm going to stop right here. One of the things that I've noticed right away in this passage when I begin to look at it is Jesus talked to God about the way that he felt. Now he said, well, he is God. I mean, why does he need to do that? Okay, well, that's sort of the point. If Jesus needs to do it, probably you do too. But of course, you're so much more emotionally healthy than Jesus. And uh, so let's go, and let's see, and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed. Second thing I want to point out, Jesus isn't a plastic prayer. You know, and in all honesty, I'm not sure I really believe that people who are plastic prayers are really praying. Here's the difference between vain babble and a real prayer. Vain babble is when your mouth is engaged, but your head and mind are not. Now, I'm going to draw this attention to you because one of the things that's interesting in this passage is Jesus will pray, pray repetitively. Now, as a good Pentecostal, we were never taught that. We never pr- taught you pray more than once about anything because you prayed in faith and God heard it. The problem is we don't really see it with Jesus, which means one of two things. Either Jesus doesn't have faith or we're wrong. I'm going with Jesus is right. So I'm going to learn from Jesus. Now, what the Pentecostals were right about that taught me were this. A prayer where your heart and mind aren't engaged is not a real prayer. True. For example, how many times have you done the Our Father, and in all honesty, it was just words? I mean, the truth of the matter, lots of times. Let me give you an example. One time, I was praying, and this was when I was uh, about 19 years old. I was on my own. By the way, I had my own apartment. The Lord had blessed me. And so what was occurring is, I I knelt down, not literally, but my head and it was right before dinner, how many of you do like little rote prayers before you do dinner? Yeah, you don't want to raise your hand, do you? I don't believe any of you. Yeah, I see what's going on here. Okay. You're going to try to be holy on me. Okay, I gotcha. Okay. Well, I used to do like this little prayer, and and the truth of the matter is, the quicker the better. I mean, the food's cold, okay? And you know, now people hate for me to pray, like when, you know, like, would you pray? And after about three minutes, they said, all right, that's enough, okay? Well. You know, I did this little rote prayer, and I said, Jesus, thank you for the food. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay? Now, I just want to point out, I think that's offensive to God. Why? Words without meaning are offensive to whoever whoever they're spoken to. Let me give you an example. You may have done this. You look over to someone you love, like your husband or wife, and maybe they have a very romantic feeling. I don't know. Maybe... Maybe they watched, you know, one of these movies like, I don't know, Notebook. And they look over to you and and they go, I love you. Now, how you respond at that moment is important. And so I want you to watch two different responses. Love you too. How's that working for you? You like that? Ladies, if your husband does that, you feel all warm inside, feel all tingly, you're like, oh boy, I'm so glad I married him. I mean, that's how you feel, right? Now watch response number two. He turns to you. Because you know, honesty, let's be honest, a lot of times it's the ladies that are initiating this. Okay. And so you look longingly into her eyes and you say, I love you. I'm not the same without you. Ladies, how's that working for you? Clap if you like that one. All right, men, you need to be taking notes right now. That's how you do it. It's the same with God. Anytime that you're praying to God and you're saying words, your mind and heart are not engaged, it's not a prayer. What it is is manipulation. You see, in witchcraft, we do a formula, and that's supposed to elicit some response from divinities. But Christianity is all about relationship. And so, what happened in this instance with me is I said, Thank you, Jesus, for the food in Jesus' name, amen. And I began to dive in. But I want to tell you something Satan can attack you even when you're doing something religious. And so I heard a voice speak to me, and the voice said, why are you praying? You're not going to be any better off or any worse if you pray. And then it said this, you know, God's not the one out there working. You are. Now, I've worked hard most of my life. And when I was going to school, I had a -a 30-hour-a-week job as an undergraduate. When I was a pastor of a church, I did my Ph.D. And so I'm not afraid of work. And so I remember this voice saying to me, God's not punching the time clock. You are. And for a moment there, I was caught off guard. Yeah, that's that's true. God doesn't actually punch the time card. I do. And then this voice said to me, you should be very proud of yourself. How many people your age have an apartment? Look at all your hard work. And I thought to myself, well, yeah, that is true. I've got an apartment. I'm on my own. I'm feeding myself. I mean, granted, it's macaroni and cheese, but I'm still feeding myself. And this voice said, you don't need to pray to God. You're doing just fine. Now, I'm glad to say that the Lord does not leave us in our foolishness. Because after this little soliloquy, the satanic soliloquy was spoken, I heard another voice speak to me and it said this, oh really? Look outside. And I looked outside and it was raining. And the voice said to me this, no matter how hard you work, if I don't turn on the spigot, you don't eat. Now think that through. My specialty is in dealing with philosophy and theology and logic. And so think it through. You can work as hard as you want, but if there's no rain, you're not eating. And so I thought, well, that's true. And then this voice said to me, how's your legs doing? Now, what you don't know, and what very few people do know about me, is that before I was one and a half years old or two years old, I think it was, I couldn't walk. They examined me, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. There was something wrong with my legs. And I had a vision when I was praying one time, and I had a vision, and I didn't even know this. And in the vision, I saw me as a child, unable to walk, and Jesus walked up and touched my legs. I called my mom, and I said, you know, I had this very strange vision that there was a time when I was a baby that I wasn't able to walk. And she goes, that's right. She goes, we took you to doctors and everything. I said, well, what happened? She goes, well, it was the strangest thing. One day, you just got up and walked. And so this voice said to me, how's your legs? And if you're not standing up in your job, how much are you making as a waiter? And I thought, yeah. That's true. And then this voice said to me, you don't have to pray if you don't want to. Only if you're thankful. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to try to convince you to pray today. Only if you're thankful. I'm going to ask you to do that. And so I bowed my head and I said, oh God, forgive me a fool. How could I ever be deceived by something like that? To believe that it was by my own hand that I have all of these blessings. And even in your case, did you choose to be born in this country? Those of you who were born here, did you choose to come to this country and, and you had the ability and the means to do So look at all the blessings that you have. If you have a college education, you're in the top 7% of the world. 93% of the world does not have a college education, primarily because they don't have the ability to. You live in one of the most prosperous lands in all the world. And one of the things that we often forget in the midst of our blessings is who is behind all of this. And so I just want to say, if you're not thankful, don't pray one bit. But if you are thankful, I want to open up to you the secrets of prayer and what Jesus showed us in his prayer time. And what is it that Jesus showed us? First, he showed us the how, the why, and the will. And so I believe that people don't pray for two reasons. One, they don't understand what it's all about. And two, because they don't believe it will benefit them. And so let's start first with why you should pray. And let's go to our first slide. I'm gonna tell you that you should pray first of all because Christ prayed. You may think you're really busy. You've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. Of course, Christ didn't have anything like the weight of the world on his shoulders. His life was relatively easy. You've got people that are bothering you. He's got people that are crucifying you. You've got people that have done you wrong. Well, he's never experienced anything like that. And so I wanna tell you, not only does he tell his disciples to pray, he says you ought to pray often and to faint not. And in Luke 18, 1, he tells a parable of a widow that continues to persist. And he starts it with this, men ought always to pray and to not give up. The parable is about someone who doesn't give up in prayer. And the truth of the matter is many of us have given up in prayer. Let me give you an example. I have a game that I played with all of my children, and some of you know the game. You might have played it. How many of you in this room have played that cerebral game, Candyland? Raise your hand if you've ever played Candyland. Well, I want to tell you a little secret about playing games. I find it highly, highly informative. When I used to write behavioral plans in the psychiatric hospital for children, I used to notice that many of them had trouble playing games. Some of them did not want to play by the rules. Some of them got frustrated. Some of them couldn't concentrate long enough to play the game. So, what occurred was I noticed lots of things about the way that people played games. So, we did this in Marholm. And so one of the things we did is we played Candyland with all of our children. Well, our last child was the baby of the family. She enjoyed being the baby of the family. How many of you are the baby of the family? Raise your hand. Yeah, you know what it's like, don't you? You're like, yeah. My daughter wanted to be the baby of the family so much that we told her one time we were thinking about more children. And she said, I'm the baby. That's the way God made it. And so she just loved being the baby of the family, except I don't know if it was like this with you all, but the babies of the family sometimes are used to getting their own way. Is this true? You're like, no, yes, yes. All right. How many of you are older children and you believe that the babies of the family got away with more than you did? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. How many of you are the babies of the family and you're sure you got away with more than <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Okay. That's what I thought. Well she was used to getting her own way. And it was funny because we'd never played Candyland with her before. And so what occurred is we were playing this game. What well, was all going her way, which is exactly the way she wanted it. Shouldn't all of life be like this? And so she was playing and every time she rolled, she moved forward. Well, I don't know if you're how much you remember about Candyland, but you can like land on a spot and it'll send you back somewhere. Except every time she rolled, she would go forward. When we would roll, most of the time we are being sent back. So how did she approach our our misery, our being sent back? She would laugh. She would laugh. Not only would she laugh, she would cackle. (laughs) Like just cackle. And she'd throw her head back. (laughs) You know, as if she was the queen of the universe. And so here she is just sailing through Candyland. Well, except when you get to the end, you have to roll exactly the right number to get in. You remember this? Some of you are still traumatized. Anyway, this is what you have to do. You have to roll the exact number. Well, she took two or three times. She couldn't actually get in, and then she rolled the wrong number. And there's this little square that says, go back to see Mr. Gingerbread. As soon as she saw this and she counted one, Two. she stopped. And at that, all her brothers and sisters began to laugh. How's that feel, Rachel? How's that feel? You like that, Rachel? Isn't that fun? Oh, look, you've got to go back to the beginning. <laughs> they were loving it. She wasn't very happy with this turn of events. And so what she did to show her displeasure She grabbed the board from underneath, picked it up, and threw it across the room. And then she walked out, and she said, I hate this stupid game. I'm not playing anymore. Would it be safe to say that your prayer life is like that? There was a time when you prayed but the game just hasn't gone the way that you thought it should. and So you've chucked this game called prayer. Except prayer is not a game. Jesus asked you to do it because he knows it's good for you. Next slide. Next slide, we'll pass that. Uh, we'll pass that one too. This is what I want to get to. Why should you pray? Dr. Andy Newberg of the University of Pennsylvania, by the way, at an Ivy League School, has written a book called Why God Won't Go Away. One of the things that he says in this book is that there are documented changes in blood flow in particular regions of the brain during prayer and meditation. I decided that not using prayer on behalf of my patients was the equivalent of of withholding a needed medication or surgical procedure, Dr. Larry Dossi said after reading and examining the data. Next slide. You knew I couldn't go too long without doing apologetics. Dr. Dale Matthews of Georgetown University, again a very prestigious university, says if prayer were available in pill form, no pharmacy could stock enough of it. I like to call this a gospel. (laughs) By the way, we've done studies on a number of antidepressants. And I'm not telling you don't take your antidepressant, but I am going to tell you what the study says because academia is where I'm from. We can't find any higher rates for lack of depression than a placebo in some of our most famous pills for depression. It doesn't mean specifically that the pill doesn't work, but it may mean that your brain, when put in the right place, also has the ability to heal. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying the pill doesn't work, but what I am saying is that when your brain is placed in the right direction, it might have some healing properties too. Next, another Duke University study of 4,000 people found that those who prayed regularly had significantly lower blood pressure than those who were less religious. Third study showed that those who attended religious service had healthier immune systems. What does this mean? What's the leading cause of death in the United States? Heart disease. Low blood pressure is a good thing. As a matter of fact, I went to the doctor years ago and he said, you have abnormally low blood pressure for your age. I said, is that a good thing? I don't know. Uh, So am I going to the hospital? He goes, no, here's what it means. You're probably gonna live longer than most of your friends. He said, do you have any longevity in your family? I said, well, my great-grandmother was 106 when she died. I said, uh, he said, well, what was her health like? I said, well, she was about this wide. And she was this high, and her favorite food was fried fatback. <laughs> See, if you pray, you can eat all that nasty. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just joking. He said, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, I've never seen someone big as her who lasted that long." He said, "What was her secret?" I said, "Well, she had one thing she lived by." Don't worry about things. Just pray about them. But, of course, we're much brighter than that. Next one. Harvard's Herbert Beeson has showed that repetitive prayer and non-religious meditation have similar relaxation effects, but that people who pray find more emotional comfort in prayer. By the way, this journal that I have put up here Next to the New England Journal of Medicine is probably the most famous medical journal out there. Next. According to the same study, repetitive prayer slows a person's heart, breathing rate lowers blood pressure, calms brain waves, all without drugs. Blood pressure was also lower for people who regularly prayed and studied their Bible. Same finding as the previous study. Next. This is a study from Duke University again. Men and women who both attended religious service and prayed or studied the Bible frequently, 40% less likely to have diastolic hypertension than those who attended services or prayed or read the Bible infrequently. He said the chances of mathematical error in this findings and the samplings were one in 10,000. Next. The scriptures tell us that we're called to pray. Now why? You can turn that off. Actually, go back to the slide of my daughter on the uh, praying in the, uh, there we go. Well, number one, because Jesus said it. Number two, because it will give you greater quality of life and longer life. And number three, because it's the best therapy around. Now, let me hit this right here. As a busy person, One of the thoughts that I'm tempted with is, I don't have time to pray. I understand, but let me give you another thought. People who pray and are active in their faith, on average, live seven years longer than people who don't. So when you get to seven years worth of praying, you can stop. In other words, you may think that you have, you don't have enough time to do this, but let me put it another way. If your life is shorter, because of the way you live it, who's really the wise one as it comes to time? See, maybe you're so smart, you're going to die sooner than you have to. Maybe if you prayed, your quality and your quantity of life would be changed. Now you say, well, that's not true for everybody. I understand that. I know 18-year-olds have died. I know five-year-olds have died. I know babies that have died. But what I'm saying is, generally, prayer gives you more life and better life. Other than that, I can't think of a reason to pray. Now, how do we pray? Now, this is the hard part. And I mentioned to you before that it was hard for me to pray because I'm a fairly active person. Now that I've discovered prayer, it's one of my favorite things to do in all the world. Why? Because it's the one time that, frankly, I can shut my brain down, and I can shut my gears down, and I can commune with my Creator. Why do I like to pray? God knows me better than anybody else. And I can talk to Him. And this is one of the reasons that I call it prayer therapy, is because I can be honest with God, and there's no one else who's going to hear me. And I can can speak to Him as a loving Father wants to hear from His child. And I do want to hear from him, and I believe he wants me to speak to him. Now, let's take a look at our scripture so that I can show you how Jesus prayed and why it works. Look at this verse where he says, my soul is very sorrowful, verse 37, excuse me, 38, even to the point of death. Now, here's the very first thing that you're going to do in your prayer time, and I'm going to encourage you to to use two types of prayer. One is a prayer for others, and one is a prayer for yourself. You should do both. A third one is just simply to pray, what do you want, O Lord? But today I wanna deal specifically with the personal benefits of prayer. Jesus says, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. Now why am I looking at the personal? Because if I can get you to pray and get you see the benefits of prayer, I'm pretty sure you'll throw in the other ones. But if you're not praying at all, I doubt very much you'll pray for other people or you'll hear from God either. Think of it this way, most people pray in times of crisis. So if you were God, what would you do to get people to pray? Oh God, why have you allowed this to occur? The primary purpose of prayer is to establish relationship. It's not so that you can get what you want. Prayer is a time where you come away with the Father and you commune with Him and you talk with Him. And you have an intimate relationship, more intimate than any relationship on this earth. And I'm going to say that, including my wife and children. You may not believe me, but I would rather spend time with God than any person on the face of the earth. Because He's my Creator and my Savior. I love Him. And what has occurred is my own own relationship with the Lord has changed more in prayer than in anything else. I like to put it this way, you can be out of control or you can be in prayer. Prayer is the anvil or the arena of struggle where we hammer out what we really think and believe about Jesus. And this is what's occurring in Gethsemane. And this is what I began to see in the work and the life of Jesus. What began to occur is that Jesus is hammering out what God wants him to do. He doesn't want to do it. He says, let this cup pass from my hands. And he's also struggling with some very, very powerful emotions. I don't think it's because Jesus was weak in his personality or anything like this. I think it's because he understood that he's going to become sin. That the world's sin is going to be placed upon him. And there's going to be an explosion in the very core of his being. And he cries out, my God, my God, why? Lord, isn't there another way that we can do this and look what happens he throws himself on the ground crying out my God please if you do not have any emotion in your prayer then you're being dishonest with God It should go to the very depths of who you are, to the very core of your being. And if your prayer life does not expose the core of who you are, you have a plastic prayer life. And so Jesus prays, let this cup pass from me. His soul is sorrowful, it says, even to the point of death. Now notice the contrast here in this teaching about prayer is not only about Jesus' praying, it's also about those who don't pray. Because the disciples are called to pray also. In fact, Jesus says you should pray so that you're not led into temptation. So one of the things that we do in prayer is we do preemptive strike. I'm never at a loss of things to pray for because in all honesty, I have a list of things that I need to change about me. And that list doesn't end until you become perfect. So the only reason not to pray is you have already achieved perfection. And so when I go into my prayer time, I say to him, you know, Lord, that person really irritated me, and I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, but if you don't mind, would you just destroy them? (laughs) But what begins to occur in my prayer time is I begin to understand, oh, that's not really the mind of God. He doesn't really want to destroy all of these people. What he wants is to save them. And so I have to come face to face with who I am before God. John Calvin puts it this way, God is like a mirror. The closer that I come to him, the more... I see myself." But often we choose not to look. And I'm convinced it's because many of us don't understand how powerful and how wonderful it can be to move to the arena of struggle where you hammer out what you really believe. How? Three R's. First through, recognition. Recognition who God is and recognition who you are, and meeting at that place. And sometimes that recognition is not a good one. Sometimes that recognition is that I don't really want to do what you want me to do. But notice what happens to Christ. He says, I don't want to go to the cross. But by the time he's done, he's going. Now look at the disciples over here. They're falling asleep. Christ says, couldn't you pray with me for one hour? And he says to him, you ought to watch and pray. Now notice this. Watch is a military term. What do you watch for? You watch for the enemy. And so what are you doing in your prayer time? You're watching so that the enemy doesn't have a place to plug his, his, little, his little stuff into. Satan cannot work unless he plugs into your heart. At least so far as you're concerned. doesn't mean he won't attack you, but he won't be successful. He must have something to plug into. And so what I'm doing in my prayer time is I'm looking over my heart, all the things that need to be changed, and I'm asking God if He will change them. What begins to occur is we begin to talk about those areas where I am resistant to the Lord. How do you grow? It's really very simple. You say yes to Jesus more than you say no. The people who say yes more often grow more quickly. And so what begins to occur is Jesus enters into a struggle, and then we see something very interesting. He does repetition. How long do you do repetition? How long do you pray the same thing? The answer is repetition, and here's the phrase I want you to remember, till resolution. How long does Jesus pray? Here's the quick answer. As long as he needs to. There are things that you need to be praying about that you've given up on. Now, what does repetition do? First, it tells me exactly how much it means to you. Have you ever noticed that sometimes things mean seem to mean a whole lot to you, and then when you get in it, it dies off very quickly. There's things I prayed about for years that I want to see changed. I want to see greater moves of the Holy Spirit. I want to see people set free. And so I continue to pray. And there's things that are resolved very quickly. And the more that I pray, the more that I can go into my heart and I can begin to see the things that need to be changed and as a result, I have the opportunity to change them. And so I'm going to continue to pray about the same thing until it's changed. How do things get changed? I continue praying until they're done, until they're finished. Now notice Jesus in this. What has, what's the resolution? The resolution in Jesus is not external. Is what he prayed about going to change, i.e. the cross? Nope. Where's the change? Internally. Sometimes, not all the time, sometimes God's wanting the internal change before he gives you the external. And there's other times where the external's not going to change and you've got to be change to be okay with it and prayer is how you navigate those distances. And we see in Christ, Him navigating this distance repetitiously, continuing to pray until such time as He has resolution. How long should I pray about something? The answer is very simple, until it's resolved. You don't stop until it's resolved. That's how we pray. What is the benefit of praying like this? I leave no area of my heart untouched. Anytime that I see something that is not square with what Jesus says, something's wrong in my heart. And I mean, anytime. So you might say, you have to pray a lot on the freeway. Yes, I do. I do indeed. But what begins to occur is the Lord begins to change me to the point that I have the capacity to do some of the things that he calls me to do. Some of these things that Jesus says, you're like, there's no way. You can't do those." But when you pray, you discover a power which you never knew you had. It's there inside you because the Holy Spirit lives in there. But you can't unlock it until you spend time on your knees. Again, how do you do it? Repetition to resolution, repetition, to resolution. And finally, the final aspect of prayer is very simply this. We have been able to show, I think, fairly strongly that there's a lot of medical evidence for prayer. We've also been able to show that Jesus did it. And I'm going to say if Jesus thought it was a good idea, probably it's a good idea for you. And now we're able to show you how to do it to move into the arena of prayer, to do preemptive strike against anything you know is there already and begin to eliminate those areas so Satan is not able to mount an attack. As you do this, less and less of the flesh will remain and more of it and more of it will be crucified. You see, it's very simple. To a certain extent, it's just a question of, Where do you want your flesh to come out? It can come out in the open, where people see it, or you can do it in prayer. See, actually, I think this is very nice of God. He has an arena where you can let your flesh out, of course, for the purpose of being crucified, or it can come out when you least expect it. Example, let's say you've struggled with lust why not pray about it why not talk to God about it as opposed to ruining your marriage as opposed to doing something that people will talk about for years people ask how could Bill Clinton have been so stupid so a smart man like that be so stupid I'll tell you why because what was on the inside came out the same is true with every human being And so you have a choice. You can take care of your flesh in private, where only God sees it, or you can do it in public, where everybody sees it. In other words, you can be crucified, it's just a question of whether you want the public or the private. I prefer the private, personally. And what I find is, the more private it is, the more likely I'm able to tell God what's on my heart. And the more I tell Him, the more likely I am to change What's in my heart? Does this work? It worked for Jesus. And I'm gonna say the battle for Calvary was won in Gethsemane. Now notice the conclusion. Jesus says, Okay, you want to sleep? All right, very well. Let's go. My betrayer's close at hand. It's time. You had your opportunity to take care of things. But now we're just going to have to go through it. What happens to the disciples who don't pray? How do they do so far as faithfulness? They fail. What did Jesus tell them about their prayer time? You should pray. Watch. Be on your watch. Look inside your heart for things that might trip you up. but disciples let their emotions get the best of them. They were sorrowful. Jesus had the very same emotions. You see the parallel? Both of them are sorrowful. One prays, one doesn't. One is ready, the others are not. Ladies and gentlemen, I assure you that if you will grab hold of this idea that prayer is the arena of struggle where we crucify the flesh. I guarantee you, your whole life will change. If you choose not to use prayer as your arena of struggle, what you've asked is for God to wake you up incidentally in public and to try to get your attention. This is the therapeutic method that God decided to years, to change your heart. Cindy, I'm going to ask you if you'll come up. And I'm going to close with this. And when I, as we begin to close, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you today to make a commitment. Since we're at the beginning of the new year, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to pray for 30 minutes. Notice I'm not asking for the whole hour in Gethsemane. I'm going to just ask you to do 30 minutes and make that commitment today. And I'm going to tell you, it'll be the best decision you'll ever make. Well, as a pastor, every now and then you have to deal with things. And I told you I ran a drug recovery center. And the truth of the matter is, there were two people who were, well, they were witnessing to people and using at the same time. And part of the deal with a drug recovery center is you can't use. They thought by witnessing to people would be okay. I told them no. And I asked them to leave the drug recovery center. Well, one of our addicts got really upset. I was cruel and heartless because I had not extended grace. Of course, the truth of the matter is, in a drug recovery center, if you give one addict room to use, you've given license to all. No one would have been helped. And so he wrote a letter to the whole church, to my whole church, every single member, Tell him what an evil person I was. I I thought that was very nice of him. And so I went down to my computer and I uh, typed a response. I used all of my training and logic and I tried to make him look as stupid as he possibly could be. Three pages later, I felt very, very accomplished and satisfied that I had made this fool look like a moron. I went up and showed the letter to my wife. I said, (laughs) read this. She read it. She didn't have the same joy that I had. She said, "Uh, will you pray about this? I said, no, I don't need to pray about it. Everything I said in that letter is true. I'm not gonna pray about it and she said I'm not asking you to do anything wrong I'm just asking you will you pray I said no I'm not praying there's no reason to pray and she said please pray well I went down to my office and I began to pray and my first word were you know what God this is just the way it is when people try to do right This man wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for me. I rescued him out of the gutter. He was a smack user. And this is the thanks I get. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I know just how you feel. I said, no, you don't. He says, yeah, I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like when people spit on you. I know what it's like when they crucify you. And I said, I've had it. I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. And then the Lord said to me, I don't blame you. You only have to be as patient with this person as I was with you before you came to know me. I said, that's not fair. And the Lord said, you're right, it isn't. But are you talking grace? Or do you want justice? And for three months I prayed about this thing because I was so hurt and so angry. finally the Lord began to talk to me about the deeper issues of my heart. What is this Christian life all about anyway? Is it just blessings, is that all it is? Where if you have to suffer a little bit for Jesus, is that where you get off the boat? Do you really care about me, God? We had that little talk and I came away with the belief, yeah, you do care. And then he said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It took me a couple months to do that. But finally I reached the point where I was able to pray for this this man who had betrayed me. A year after he'd sent the letter, he showed up in church again. But something wonderful had happened. The Lord had changed me. Not him, but me. And he fully expected me to just give it to him. And he said, hello, pastor. And I said, good to see you. And here's the difference. I actually meant it. I wasn't sure what he was up to, but I didn't care because Jesus has my back. And he said, can we talk? I said, sure. And he said the magic words, tell me your side. And I said, I can't tell you everything, but here's what I can tell you. He said I never knew I said I know I would have liked the benefit of the doubt and you to come to me and talk to me before you sent the letter and he said I'm sorry pastor he said can I get up in front of the whole church and ask their forgiveness I hadn't expected that but I said yeah that man became one of our greatest small group leaders in the church whose primary primary ministry was to reach out to heroin addicts. But I could have stopped it all if I hadn't prayed. How many lives were changed by that man's ministry? All I had to do was not pray. Ladies and gentlemen, I want everybody here for one moment just to bow your heads. This is the beginning of a new year. You have an opportunity to change things. Now, I don't want anybody to look around because this is between you and God. A little earlier I asked you if you would think about making a commitment to pray 30 minutes each day. You can up it, but let's start there. If you're ready to make that commitment without anybody looking i'd like you to stand from your seat and say god count me in i will stay and watch with you i will be with you no one looking around this is between the person no one looking around it literally is true that people all over are saying yes to jesus
0: praise the lord you may be seated precious jesus precious jesus praise the lord precious jesus tell you it's when we get on our knees in prayer it's when we seek the throne of God and we not only pray for circumstances to be changed but for our character to be changed that real miracles take place and the first miracle that the Lord would like to do could be in you. Praise the Lord. Oh, Dr. Joe, thank you. Thank you so much for that word this morning. Did you appreciate that word this morning? Amen.